Hello everyone and welcome to the April 28th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foltz with Floyd, Scarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. So let's get started with our litigation report. A WCAB panel decision ruled that the failure to sign a UR report invalidates the UR procedure. Here's what happened in the case of Wheelman versus United Temporary Services. Lisa Wheelman and the employer United Temporary Services resolved this case by way of a stipulated award in 2002. The award provided future medical treatment to bilateral upper extremities, neck, fibromyalgia, and psyche. The current dispute between the parties involved four UR denials. Two involved a request for Botox to treat migraine, and two were for a request for Xyrem for shoulder tendinitis. The employer's UR physicians declined to authorize the treatment. The applicant claimed that there were three material defects in the UR process that rendered UR invalid. One claimed error was the lack of a signature on the UR decision. Pursuant to the new Inbank Dubon decision, the work comp judge ruled that the absence of a signature on the UR decision was not a minor defect. But no particular rationale was given in the opinion on decision as to why a signature was that important. A second claimed UR defect involved the failure of the employer to provide UR with necessary medical records, including prior reports of an AME. In this regard, the work comp judge held that because of the complexity of the case, the UR reviewers should have either asked for the prior medical reports of the AME or the prior report should have been given to them. A third claimed UR defect involved the lack of the UR physicians having appropriate board specializations in the medical areas under review. Labor Code Section 4610E has a two-tiered test in this regard. First, it must be found that the doctors are competent to evaluate the specific clinical issues. Second, the services must be within the scope of the physician's practice. The work comp judge found that the UR physicians did not meet this test. The work comp judge ordered the defendants to provide the requested medical care without finding medical necessity based upon substantial medical evidence. The employer appealed and the WCAB granted reconsideration. However, the WCAB concurred with the work comp judge's determination that the failure to sign their reports and the failure to provide the relevant AME reports invalidates the UR determinations. The WCAB did not, however, agree with the judge's determinations with respect to a lack of the correct medical specialization. But a finding that the UR determination is invalid does not mandate that the treatment be authorized. As held in the Dubon case, the applicant must still provide substantial medical evidence to establish that the requested treatment is reasonable and necessary. The work comp judge ordered the defendant to provide the requested treatments without making findings that the treatments are reasonable and necessary. Accordingly, the case was remanded for a determination as to whether the treatments were reasonable and necessary consistent with the Debon case. 
And in another panel decision, the WCAB granted reconsideration to determine if an erroneous instruction to UR claiming that injury was denied was a material defect. Here is what happened in the case of Gomez versus Facilities Support Services. The party stipulated that Manuel Gomez suffered an injury to both knees, his back and psyche in 2007, which resulted in the need for further medical treatment. After this stipulation, the treating physician sent a request for authorization for partial left knee replacement with post-operative therapy. The UR physician stated two reasons for non-certification of the treatment request. First, the guidelines for partial knee replacement, the ODG knee, ODG knee chapter, were not met. Secondly, the UR physician noted that the left knee is not an accepted body part. However, the second reason was not correct since the stipulation agreed that both knees had been injured. Thus, the work comp judge determined that the UR process was flawed since the UR belief that the left knee is not an accepted body part was factually incorrect. The work comp judge awarded treatment for the right knee, but the work comp judge further found that the request for medical treatment must be addressed through the independent medical review process. After the work comp judge issued his decision, the appeals board issued Dubon and addressed the process that now applies to medical treatment disputes. Under Dubon, the UR flaws must be material procedural defects that undermine the integrity of the UR decision. Conversely, minor technical or immaterial defects do not. If the work comp judge finds that there are material procedural defects, he should then determine, based upon substantial medical evidence, if the requested left knee medical treatment is reasonably required. The case was remanded with instructions. The work comp judge's new decision should provide a complete explanation of the reasons for his determinations. And now our fraud report. A Riverside woman was charged with two counts of felony identity theft for allegedly using someone else's social security number to file a workers' compensation claim. 22-year-old Blanca Rodriguez claimed she was injured on the job in 2011 when she was working as a janitor at Ontario Mills Mall for the Interstate Cleaning Corporation. She received treatment for pain in her lower back, knees, and calves. Soon officials discovered Rodriguez used a social security number that was not issued to her to file the claim. The discovery went to the district attorney's workers' compensation fraud unit and they filed charges the next day. Rodriguez was arrested and booked into the West Valley Detention Center and held in lieu of $100,000 bail. Rodriguez faces three years in prison if convicted. <clears throat> A 30-year-old San Jose man has been charged with felony workers' compensation fraud after a district attorney's office investigation showed that he was untruthful about a major back injury. Ricardo Casillas filed a workers' compensation claim for a 2010 back injury. Despite complaining that he was still in excruciating pain and could not lift anything heavy, surveillance video taken in 2012 showed otherwise. After leaving his doctor's office, Casillas is later seen in a video doing manual labor on his car, including jumping on a wrench to tighten lug nuts. 
The video shows no evidence that Casillas was limited in his movements or in any pain. The tires weighed between 50 and 65 pounds each. Casillas faces a maximum of five years and four months if convicted of making false or fraudulent material statements to an insurance company and attempted perjury. He could also be ordered to pay full restitution. State Senator Leland Yee has been charged with soliciting uh, solicited solicitation bribes to fund his San Francisco mayor and California Secretary of State campaigns. But he also appears to have devoted time and energy to crafting or carrying legislation benefiting special interests who supply him with campaign contributions. Yee raised more than $150,000 from labor unions, trade associations, and other groups whose bills he advocated for in hearing rooms and hallways of the Capitol. He frequently introduced milker bills, a term for legislation that milks donations from special interest groups. There's nothing illegal about pushing legislation on behalf of special interests while taking con paying contributions from them, so long as there's no evidence of quid pro quo agreements. But it is a treacherous gray area in Sacramento between business as usual and corruption. Perhaps his most peculiar legislative cause involved an obscure group of about 100 traditional Chinese medicine practitioners known as traumatologists. Traumatologists use massage, joint manipulation, and herbal remedies in the same manner as acupuncturists, who in California are considered primary care providers. When Yi entered the 2011 race for mayor, it had been years since anyone identifying himself as a traumatologist had donated to one of his campaigns. But once he took up their cause, 41 traumatologists contributed a total of about $5,000 to his mayoral bid. Traumatology groups also gave $7,800 to Yi's state accounts. Yi then launched a three-year crusade to certify traumatologists. But the senator ran into furious opposition from a majority of the state's roughly 10,000 acupuncturists, a group that had considered Yi a close political ally. Yi amended his first bill and introduced two others. But most acupuncturists remained opposed, arguing the standards for training and licensing traumatologists were inadequate. They warned of risks to public health. Yi lined up backing for the traumatologists, but some of it was dubious. Among the groups that signed form letters of support were Chinatown organizations led by Raymond Shrimp Boy Chow, an alleged gangster charged with 10 crimes as a result of the FBI investigation that snared Yi. Other examples include SB 554, which would have required health inspectors to enforce nurse-to-patient ratios at hospitals sponsored by the California Nurses Association. The bill never reached a hearing. The nurses gave $13,000 to Yee's campaign, plus $50,000 to city residents supporting Leland Lee for mayor 2011. 
Ye introduced SB 282, sponsored by the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, to give attorneys for therapists access to patients' medical records when they negotiate legal settlements related to negligence complaints. There was no formal opposition to the bill, which sailed into law. The association gave $2,000 to Yee's campaigns. SB 381, sponsored by the California Chiropractic Association, would have barred physical therapists from practicing joint manipulations and adjustments. It died after one hearing before Senate Business and Professions Committee, where Yee failed to win a single vote. He nonetheless received $8,300 from the Chiropractic Association and $2,700 from individual practitioners. SB 495 would have boosted the pay for physicians at California State University Health Centers. It died in the Assembly. It was co-sponsored by the Union of American Physicians and Dentists, which gave $20,000 to one of the independent mayoral committees. The bill's other sponsor was a powerful Yee backer, which along with its affiliates gave over $27,000 to Yee's campaigns. And in regulatory news, plans to financially stabilize the U.S. Postal Service have been bouncing around Capitol Hill for a long time, long enough to make you wonder if Congress will ever do anything about it. Their proposals are designed to help the Postal Service deal with a changing business climate that left it with a net loss of $5 billion last year. Yet, if the pending legislation in the Senate becomes law, its reach will extend well beyond the postal facilities and those who work there. The measure could have a significant impact on many federal employees, particularly those who are injured. The legislation would cut some payments provided through the Federally, Federal Employees Compensation Act, better known as Workers' Comp for Federal Staffers Injured on the Job. The Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee has approved the proposed legislation. It comes as no surprise that the president of the National Treasury Employees Union said she strongly opposes what she calls unwarranted cuts in benefits for injured federal workers. Under this bill, injured federal workers would have their FECA benefits reduced by one-third to one-quarter when they reach the retirement age for Social Security. The committee aide said that benefits would not change for workers who are permanently and totally disabled or age 65 or older. So far, opposition by labor organizations has not been strong enough to prevent the workers' comp provision from advancing along with the rest of the legislation. The overall bill won bipartisan approval in the committee with a 9-to-1 vote in February, and the full Senate voted 62-to-37 on the same measure two years ago. And in medical news, soon the workers' compensation claims industry will be facing the prospect of claims for medical marijuana by injured workers. Landmark voter initiatives in Colorado and Washington legalized the drug for recreational purposes. Many more states allow medicinal pot. California voters rejected a ballot initiative to legalize marijuana for recreational use back in 2010. But a poll last fall by the Public Policy Institute of California showed an increase in support 
with 60% of likely voters favoring legalization. But the drug remains illegal under federal law, leaving states that have opted for medicinal legalization struggling to control a thriving trade in medical cannabis. And now, a measure to regulate California's chaotic medical marijuana industry passed a key legislative hurdle. Assemblyman Tom Amiano, a San Francisco Democrat, says that the current state of chaos around medical marijuana has got to come to an end. If passed, his proposal, AB 473, could set a template to regulate recreational use of marijuana by adults. The bill marks Amiano's second attempt at regulating medical marijuana in California. Concern has grown over the lack of rules for the hundreds of street corner pot dispensaries and delivery services that have sprung up since medical marijuana was legalized 15 years ago. Other problems include inappropriate prescribing by unethical doctors and a violent Wild West culture of illegal cannabis farms in the state's forests. His bill would make it illegal for doctors to recommend medical marijuana for patients they have not examined and bar prescriptions by doctors with a financial interest in a pot dispensary. It would also let the Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control enforce laws regulating marijuana and develop plans to tax it beyond the sales tax now levied, while ensuring it is grown and processed safely and in ways safe for the environment. Supporters, including the city of Oakland, said the bill would bring order and clarity to the market. But law enforcement groups criticized Amiano's plan to regulate medical uh, cannabis through the Alcoholic Beverage Control Office. Amiano's plan is one of two marijuana regulation proposals making their way through the legislature. The Senate version, which would regulate the drug by way of the state health department instead of the Alcoholic Beverage Control Department, has won support from some law enforcement agencies. In 2003, the legislature enacted the Medical Marijuana Program Act, or MMPA. Under the guidance of the MMPA, approximately 60 California cities and counties have created medical marijuana access ordinances that can act as a guide for the state. However, many other cities and counties are calling for more guidance and regulation from the state and have passed bans or moratoria on medical marijuana cultivation and distribution while awaiting such guidance. Last year, the California Supreme Court gave local governments the power to zone medical marijuana dispensaries out of existence, a decision that upholds bans on about 200 cities. And in other news, proposed new ethics rules may ban workers' compensation judges from participating in the Boy Scouts of America. Labor Code Section 123.6a provides that all workers' compensation administrative law judges must follow the California Code of Judicial Ethics adopted by the California Supreme Court. The Supreme Court Advisory Committee on the Code of Judicial Ethics proposes amendments to the Code of Judicial Ethics from time to time. And this February, the committee published its proposal to amend Canon 2C 
and related provisions of the current Judicial Ethics Code. Canon 2C prohibits a judge from holding membership in an organization that practice, practices invidious discrimination on the basis of race, sex, gender, religion, national origin, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. As currently written, this canon does not bar membership in nonprofit youth organizations. Back in 2003, the Supreme Court revised the nonprofit youth organization exception after receiving a request to eliminate the exception. The Bar Association of San Francisco initiated this request joined by the Santa Clara County Bar Association. Once the Bar Association's proposal was publicized, the court received many communications from judges, lawyers, and others. Some of those responding supported elimination of the exception, while others opposed any amendment. The court ultimately decided to leave the canon intact, but added commentary cautioning judges to be sensitive to the concerns expressed by those advocating elimination of the exception. Now, some 10 years later, the advisory committee raises the proposal to eliminate the exception once again. The committee analyzed the exception in the context of a judge being a member of the Boy Scouts of America. The committee reasons that in 2013, the Boy Scouts of America announced its decision to permit openly gay boys to participate as scouts until age 18. But it continued its bar against gay and lesbian adults as troop leaders or in other leadership positions. Because of the Boy Scouts of America continues to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation, the committee agreed that eliminating the exception would enhance public confidence in the impartiality of the judiciary. The committee noted that the exception was developed in 1996 to accommodate judges who were members or active in the Boy Scouts of America. Eliminating the exception would not have any effect on a judge's family members who could still join or continue to be members of the BSA. The proposal, proposals have not been approved by the Supreme Court and are not intended to represent the views of the court. These proposals are circulated for comment purposes only. Some commentators have pointed out unintended consequences of the committee proposal. The Legal Defense Foundation director pointed out that the change also encompasses other youth organizations whose membership is limited on the basis of gender, such as the Girl Scouts. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd's Karen and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And please drop by again next week for more news.